Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And my next guest is a financial market legend in the making. Her name is Eleanor Swanson, and she's a fund manager from Firetrail Investments. And she was invited to give her one stock tip to the famous Son Hearts and Minds conference last week in Sydney. Who is she and how she got to such a prominent position as a young woman in the finance industry is explained when you hear my chat with her. Please meet Eleanor Swanson. Eleanor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show, Peter. Okay, let's just try and position you first of all for people who have never come across you before. So your name is Eleanor Swanson and you work for Fire Trail Investments? Correct. Right. Yep. Do you manage a fund within Firetrail? Yes, so I manage the Firetrail Australian Small Companies Fund mm. along with two other portfolio managers. Um, we currently have about 350 mil of FUM in that particular part of the business. Yep. We've also got a large cap fund, the Australian High Conviction Fund, um, and we've also got a long short fund, the Absolute Return Fund, and all up we're managing about seven and a half billion at Firetrail. Geez, seven and a half bill, well done. Yes. Okay, so uh, what's your background? Were you always a, a money person, doing commas and desperate to run, run a, a fund? Yeah, well actually when I first started out at university I thought I wanted to become a doctor, so I, I kind of hedged that bet though and I yeah. did commerce and science at university, yeah. um, majored in immunology, my science degree and majored in finance in my commerce degree. Mm. Uh, then ended up uh, getting an internship at JP Morgan uh, and kind of just fell in love with finance and, and that part of the, um, I guess, world uh, and spent, you know, two years at JP Morgan on a graduate program before heading over to Macquarie mm. and then uh, eventually left with the team and started up Firetrail Investments um, back in February 2018. So mm. the business has been going for four years yeah. um, and absolutely love uh, being in markets and particularly on the buy side. It's a whirlwind experience really, isn't it? From university to Macquarie to you know, now running a fund. Yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a whirlwind, but a, a great opportunity to leave with the, the team from Macquarie. They had a really long track record. The mm. managing director of um, Firetrail, Patrick Hodgins, has 30 years experience investing in equities mm. um, and they've delivered over a very long track record for clients. Mm. So you know, I felt very confident um, going with them, leaving Macquarie, which is a fantastic business. Mm. but starting our own um, boutique uh, investment firm and, and we've done really well. As you can tell, you know, yeah. seven and a half billion in four exactly. years is yeah. pretty rapid growth. Um, and I think that's just a reflection of the fact that we have delivered for clients. We've got loyal clients and they've followed us over. Mm. Uh, are you in the advisor space as well? Yes, yes. Mm. So we, we have, um, you know, a large portion of our um, farm is institutional. However, we do have a significant portion as well in the, in the retail advisor space. Yeah, okay. Um, was your family involved in high finance? Uh, no, not, not at all actually. Uh, yeah. my, my parents aren't terribly um, big into uh, investing in stocks and so on. I mean, yeah. occasionally they'll play around here and there. Yeah. But uh, no, I really got exposed to it when I started uh, my university degree. Yeah. Uh, I did this subject at the University of Sydney. A lot of people would be familiar with it. It's called valuations. Uh, and that's where they get you to actually model a company and come up with a buy or sell recommendation at the end. And that's mm -hmm. where I really started, I guess, got yeah. the bug and got excited about finance. It sounds like a great way of getting students interested in valuations and stocks and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's a lot of subjects they do. Another one is a trading subject. So you actually get involved with, you know, mm. buying and selling in, in kind of a live simulated environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it really, I guess, gives you a flavour for what real life, you know, work would be mm. like in finance. Well, I, I taught at the University of New South Wales for over a decade in economics. 
And we always thought that Sydney Uni was more a left-wing organisation where we were more <laughs> capitalistic. It sounds as though they're, they're rebreeding capitalism at Sydney Uni. Yeah, I think the finance strain of the, the commerce degree is a really fantastic one at Sydney Uni. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, let, let's talk about the market generally. Um, it must have been a, a, an unusual experience um, living through the coronavirus crash yes, and seeing such a rebound so quickly. Yes, well we actually launched the Fire Trail Australian Small Companies Fund on February 2020, so it would have been the 21st of February 2020, so it was literally about three days before that 40% sell-off yeah. triggered by the pandemic, so you can imagine it was a pretty um, daunting moment to have just launched a fund. Yeah. Um, but you know we pivoted pretty quickly uh, and, and we did run an analysis at Firetrail where we looked at each stock's exposure to the, the virus mm. um, and kind of, I guess, formed a view on how our portfolio would react depending on you know whether we got the virus under control or not. Yep. Um, and we did play that rebound really well. You know, the funds outperformed the benchmark um, by 50% during mm. that period. Um, and it was a great opportunity actually once we got through that 40% sell-off because we did see you know a lot of IPOs, um, capital events coming into the market and it was a huge opportunity to invest in some quite cheap stocks you know mm. at that level so we jumped into a few names that you know previously had looked a bit expensive and, and did really well for clients. What, what price did you get after payout? Yeah, um, so we did you actually... You remember it, I bet. Yes, oh. yes. So so we uh, first looked at Afterpay when it was about $13. Yeah. Um, it was like about 8 did not it, at one stage? Yeah, oh. yeah, we, we did jump. Well, that was uh, when it was selling off uh, during the virus because mm. I think people were just looking at it and thinking, you know, it's super exposed to millennials. Yeah. Um, you know, potentially there's going to be a credit crunch coming and, you know, their, their mm. loan book's just going to look horrific. Mm. Um, so people were selling it off aggressively and we took a really close look at that point. It would have been, you know, around mid-March. We took another look at Afterpay and realised that they actually had an extra 400 mil um, that was kind of sitting in a facility off their balance sheet. So they in total had about 800 mil of equity to weather, you know, any bad debts that, that came their way. And so mm. we realised that actually they were in a much stronger position than the market realised and so we topped up the position at that point, which mm. was the right decision in the end. Yeah. Were you surprised how quickly the market rebounded? Uh, I, yes, we definitely <laughs> yeah. were. I think That's everyone was, was taken by surprise yeah. um, and I think just the, the speed and quantity of stimulus that was injected um, in, mm. into the market and into people's pockets was something that definitely took us by surprise and, and how proactive government was in lowering interest rates and doing everything they could to support the economy yeah. um, definitely took us by surprise. But we did pivot and react pretty quickly and, and you know made good money for clients off the back of that as well. Yeah, I bet you did. Okay, so, and I, I must admit, I can remember um, during the GFC, <clears throat> Sky Business had, had started and I, and I uh, after they first started, I wasn't offered the position, but after about a year, they gave me a show once a week. But when the GFC happened, the market crashed, mm. they offered me four nights a week. And the argument was that when markets crash, they look for people with either no hair or grey hair, <laughs> who's got memory of it. And uh, I'm sure some of the people around you would have been great uh, mentors to you. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's, it's, you, know, you, you want to panic, but it is a great buying opportunity, isn't it, when markets crash? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, definitely having experience, but I, I would say that the pandemic was quite unique in you know, how it affected markets and mm. the sectors it affected. You know, 
you know, particularly that millennial part of the market, whereas, you know, in the GFC, it was more, you know, people working in finance and financial markets that were impacted. So mm. I guess the, the effect in the populations it affected was quite different. Um, and then also the fact that it's kind of something we're actually having to adapt to and live with rather than just simply recover from. Mm. In many ways, young people might think recessions always recover so quickly. They don't usually recover no. so quickly. <laughs> well, that's a lesson for another time. Let's talk about your starring role at the Hearts and Minds Conference, because this is a, um, uh, a very respected international conference that hold in different countries, and uh, you're asked to speak. Why don't you explain to our audience what the Hearts and, and Minds Conference is about? Yeah, so it's a great initiative. It was started in Australia about five years ago, and it's really an opportunity for the funds management industry to give back to charities, um, and in particular, Sown Hearts and Minds. You might kind of gather from the, the headline, uh, it really uh, is focused on medical research um, and in particular, you know, into, um, I guess, the, the brain and also, um, you know, cardiac research. Um, so it's, it's just a great opportunity for fund managers that what we effectively do is we, the people that pitch at Sown pick a stock that they think is going to, you know, outperform the market significantly over the next 12 months. Mm. You can pick a long um, or you can also pick a short. Uh, we picked along, we went with Megaport, um, yeah. it's our top pick for the next 12 months. Um, and basically the fund actually um, takes a position in the fund manager's recommendations. Um, so they're actually generating um, performance returns. Um, there's about 1.5 billion in the Hearts and Minds HM1 fund. You can actually invest in it. It's on the a, stock market. Yeah. Yeah, on the stock market, yeah. um, get access to those ideas. They've also got a pool of fund managers that, that manage a book um, you know, consistently over a longer term time horizon, but there is about 30% of the fund that goes into the year's stock picks mm. um, that are presented. Uh, so it's, it's a great, uh, I guess, initiative because that performance fee is then given to, to medical research. They've mm. got about 20 different charities they donate the money to, as well as all the funds raised by the event, so ticket sales and so on. So I think over the last five years, they've raised over $30 million, which mm. has gone directly to charities. I'm not sure how we went this year, but hopefully, you know, another big contribution. Mm. Um, so it's just a great initiative for fund managers to get involved with. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you were trying to work out what stock you're going to go? Yeah. One stock. That's that's really a hard ask, isn't yes, it? Yes. And and you really want it to go up. Mm -hmm. So after twelve months, they'll say, "Gee, that Eleanor Swanson, she's a genius." <laughs> so how did you arrive at Megaport? Because and by the way, we're really happy because we've been talking about Megaport in this TV show for most of the year. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, that's good and to we, hear. And we interviewed um, um, one of the founders. Um, Bevan Sludge? Yeah, Bevan. Bevan, Bevan Sludge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yes, he was uh, quite impressive. And yeah. Anyway, so tell us why you ended up with Megaport. Yeah, so so basically, um, I guess, just to take a step back, part of our investment process is to uh, try and understand what the key two or three drivers of a stock is going to be. And we call this what matters, the two mm. or three things that matter to a company. Mm. Um, and so with Megaport, um, as I'm sure you've kind of become familiar with, the base business of Megaport is extraordinary. So very, very low churn, like we're talking less than 1% customer churn. And we also see that customer spend year in and year out grows by 50% on the Megaport platform. So that tells us Pretty customers sure. are super loyal and they also love the product. So yeah. we're just seeing really great organic growth in that base business. But then what we've noticed over the last 12 months are two key things and two new drivers that have come to the fore. The first is that they've launched a second product, which is called Megaport Virtual Edge. It's basically built off their base business. It's a new product they've launched off all the capex that they've spent building that base business, which is their you know, core connections business. And that actually expands their addressable market from what was 7 billion 
to 14 billion. And the reason it's doubled is because this new product is actually much more flexible and it allows them to play more in the SME part of the market. And instead of just being focused on, you know, an enterprise head office, mm. they're actually able to support the networks of branch offices. So it really broadens their customer set. But the really exciting thing, and we think the mm. real clincher, is that um, they've re recently brought on a new chief revenue officer who's been focused on building up a partnership channel. And so what that means is instead of Megaport just having 40 sales reps trying to sell this fantastic product, but, you know, trying to get into all these businesses around the world, they've now partnered with companies like Cisco, VMware, Fortinet. Um, these are giants of the networking industry. They've got huge sales forces. Cisco has 25,000 sales reps. Um, uh, VMware has 11,000. So it's just expanded mm. them from 40 sales reps to 40,000. We know they've got this fantastic product that customers love and they've expanded their addressable market. So if you put that all together, we just think they're beautifully positioned to have a fantastic next 12 months, mm. really prove out this new product. And so we're expecting, I guess, catalysts, which gives us confidence that, you know, if they deliver, the share price should do very well over the next 12 months. It seemed to me when people explained Megaport, um, the people who did kind of said that they're in a, a space of their own, like the, mm. the nearest rival isn't really close to them. Is this something you've got found in your research as well? Yes, absolutely. And I guess the key thing with Megaport is that they're not affiliated with a data centre provider. So their closest competitor is a company called Equinix. Um, you may be familiar with them. They're one of the world's largest data centre providers. Um, and as a result, that basically limits the number of data centres Equinix can work with to their own data centres because other providers don't want to work with them. So basically Equinix has around 200 locations that they can facilitate clients connecting into their data centres, whereas Megaport has over 700 locations and they can continue to grow that. And that just means that they're much more flexible and able to service clients into whichever data centre they want to go into. Mm. You and I were talking about WCM earlier. It made me th makes me think that Megaport really has a competitive edge, which is, you're talked about is growing. Yeah. And that's a great thing if the competitive edge of a business is growing. Mm. You kind of think, this is a business I want to be associated yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we just think it's such a, a powerful place to be at the moment, given you know what's happening in the world. People are working from home. We've got this more kind of disconnected workforce that we all you know need to still connect mm. into that core you know hub of the business network yep. um, and megaport's flexible you know very scalable and and much more cost efficient uh, network just plays beautifully into that thematic okay um, have there been any other smaller cap companies that have you know recently excited you that maybe was on the short list before you selected megaport uh uh, the, the issue with uh, Sone actually is that uh, you've got to go for quite uh, large companies, so they mm. kind of need to be over a certain market cap, certain level of turnover. Mm. So Megaport would be at the larger end of what we'd be looking at. And the small cap fund, it's yeah. currently got a market cap of over $3 billion. Um, so there, we have got lots of ideas in our small cap fund, but mm. um, none of them were, were candidates um, for, for the Sone outside of Megaport, um, just given that, that kind of, okay. I guess... Yeah, requirement that they have to be a certain. Okay, market well, cap. forget hearts and minds now. <laughs> I'm worried about my, my viewers. They'd love you to give them one more idea that has been exciting you and the fund. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess uh, a stock that we think has got further to go, and it was actually one of our best performers during reporting season, um, and that was Ardent Leisure, mm. where we saw the sentiment in the stock really turn. Um, and I think a lot of Australian investors might associate Ardent Leisure with Dreamworld of up course, on the Gold yeah. Coast. Mm. However, about 
80%, 90% of the valuation of Ardent Leisure sits in their main event business, which is over in the US. Yes. Yep. They run big box um, entertainment centres, arcade games and the like. And what we saw during reporting season was that they were reporting like for likes of plus 40% versus pre-COVID levels. So mm. just so, enormous mm. growth. If you strip out, you know, the rebound from, you know, COVID, it, it was just incredible. Um, and we think there is a little bit of catch-up, pent-up demand there. But we also think there's been an actual structural overhaul of that main event business. And I don't think the market's giving main event and, and Ardent Leisure the full credit for that in its current valuation where it's trading. It's currently trading at about six times FY23 EV EBITDA. Mm. Um, and we look at its peer set, which currently trades at 10 times EV EBITDA. And, and the exciting thing about main event is that they've reinstated their centre rollout in the US. So not only has the base business recovered incredibly strongly and beat everybody's expectations, but they're also starting to roll out in the US. So we think those two things combined mm. means that main event and the ardent leisure business has a long way to go in terms of re-rating over and, the next 12 to 18 months. And provided Omicron doesn't get in the way, yes, everyone wants to get out. It's a reopening type stock, isn't it, as well? The more we get back to norm normalcy, the better a company like this will do. Yeah, and in a bit of a perverse <clears throat> way, Omnicron might kind of benefit um, Ardent Leisure just in that um, people are less likely to travel internationally, so they're more yep. likely to be spending money within their home market, you know, within the US. It's a way to get out and see friends and family and feel like you're doing something outside of, you know, spending your days at home. So, you know, we, we just think, yeah, it's it's pretty good bet over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, and I, I, I said to you when we were emailing each other, you know, if there's any other question you'd like me to ask, and you said opportunities within the index. Yeah. What, 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 how, how do you want to answer that question? Yeah. It's your question. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, I think it's good because a lot of people maybe don't realise how what, what the small cap benchmark looks like. Mm. Um, and so we break it down into kind of four key buckets of opportunity. Um, and you've got basically the kind of domestic part of the index. So, you know, consumer industrial stocks that are really um, pinned to the Australian economic performance, how we go here locally. Mm. Then you've got about 20% of the index in, in global stocks. So, you know, companies that are, you know, headquartered in Australia, but might have a significant portion of their earnings in Europe or the US or Asia. Mm. Um, and then we've ha also got the resource bucket. It's probably what makes the um, Aussie market unique. 25% of the index is in resource, you know, mining stocks, mining services stocks. Yep. And then finally, we've got about 15% of the index in biotech, um, tech type stocks. So that's kind of how we break down the opportunity set. When we think about opportunities over the next 18 months, you know, we're feeling really confident about the Australian economy. Vaccination rates are really high. You know, we're still, I guess, yet to see some of this um, spending benefit flow through from lockdowns, not spending on international travel. Um, you know, people are still cashed up from all the stimulus we saw last year. Yeah. So we feel like the Aussie consumer is really strong. So we like the that part of the index, that 40% that sits there. Uh, we also are seeing some really interesting um, companies in the small cap index within that global growth kind of thematic. So within the tech and biotech space, mm. Aussie companies with a great product locally that are looking to go offshore. We think that's there's a lot of alpha to be generated there. Mm. Um, and we also continue to see a lot of um, opportunity in, in capital events. So IPOs, pre-IPOs, you know, we, we recently invested in SiteMinder. 
um, and judo banks. So we, we continue to see good quality opportunities there. Um, and we can actually have um, up to 10% of the fund invested in pre-IPO companies. So we are able to be pretty flexible with our mandate there. So yeah, they're kind of the three key areas of opportunity, the Australian economy, um, global growth companies, uh, and then fin finally capital events. Well, Eleanor, you've got us all excited. I'll invite you back in a month or so. We'll see what else you're thinking about. Thanks for coming on the program. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Peter. And that was Eleanor Swanson of Fire Trail Investments. And if you want to know more about Switzer, go to switzer.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time!